Sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? Words? Yeah, that's not right. Really, words hurt, don't they? Words hurt. And I think sometimes words have a bigger impact than broken bones or bruises. Words carry immeasurable significance. I think good and bad. I remember there was a moment in my life when I was in the throes as a teenager of deciding where I was going to go to college and what I was going to do. And my mom and dad, in an offhanded remark, like they, they were both sitting in the living room and, and I, they were talking to me about all of this and they just, they said, they said this, they said, Eric, I'll be honest with you, no matter what you decide to do, we believe that you'll do whatever God wants you to do and we will support you 100%. It, for me, that was so empowering and such a confidence builder that I remember that as being a turning point in my, in my mind of me maturing into adulthood, like at that moment. It was like I felt the weight of making those life-altering decisions, but I also felt the confidence along with that. Words are powerful. And there's also words that you can probably remember that have hurt you deeply. And maybe it was even unintended. But God used words to speak this universe into existence. Jesus used words to heal the sick and to heal the lame and to cast out demons. Words are powerful. In fact, one of my favorite verses of Scripture is in Proverbs 18.21, where the writer of Proverbs said this, and the book of Proverbs is just a collection, 31 chapters of really smart things, really full of wisdom. And he said this, he said, death and life are in the power of the tongue. They that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. What a powerful statement that you hold Death or life in the words that you say. And so as we get into this last Sunday of our seven-week series about the armor of God that we are to put on, to kind of refresh our memory, to kind of bring us up to speed, um, Paul, in his book of Ephesians, which was written to the church of Ephesus, this was written to believers at the church of Ephesus in the first century, AD, he outlines for them this, this spiritual armor that we're supposed to put on because we are in a spiritual battle. And we talked about the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation and our feet shod the preparation of the gospel of peace and the, and the shield of faith. And now we're here at the last Sunday talking about this sword of the Spirit. And he describes this last piece of of equipment. And he says this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. It says, And take the helmet of salvation, which is what we talked about last week, and the sword of the Spirit. And this is the first time he tells us exactly what it is. He said, Take the sword of the Spirit. So that's as, as to make sure there's no misunderstanding. And he says, Which is the Word of God. So what Paul gives us here is an illustration of what would have been very familiar to them in those days. 
This sword would have been the weapon of choice for any foot soldier in the Roman legion. It was not like you would typically think of a sword being this two-handed, long thing that they would make big, long, broad strokes with, like you typically think of a sword fight. What, we, what we've learned is that the sword that would have been used by the average foot soldier would have been very short, no, the blade no more than two feet long, usually between 14 and 16 inches long. And it was double-edged, it was straight, And the benefit of having a double-edged short sword was that in combat, that soldier was almost unapproachable because he would lead with the shield and thrust with the sword. Having it sharp on both sides meant that he could inflict damage either direction without having to change the position of his hand. So it was an incredibly effective weapon that a well-trained soldier could use with precision in close combat in an effective manner so as to defend himself properly without having to do these big, long, broad strokes like we normally would see. Now, he did have at his disposal a two-handed sword, but the average soldier, soldier just carried a small, short sword like the one there. And what's interesting is as we have discussed all of the different pieces of our armor, this is the only one who was, that, was defensive, that was offensive. So this is our only offensive weapon. And we're going to find in spiritual warfare that words harm the enemy. So Paul has now given us this offensive weapon, and the truth of the matter is that words really do harm the enemy. And they have so much power in them. And what, I, what I'm so grateful for is that Paul tells us exactly what this sword of the Spirit is, and that is the Word of God. And the association that the Spirit has with the Word of God is so encouraging. So the Holy Spirit superintended the process of the transmission. So here's, God had something to say to us. And God wanted to give us a permanent copy of what he wanted to communicate to us. And so the Holy Spirit oversaw the transmission of the message from God onto paper. The Holy Spirit was the one responsible for inspiring the writers to record accurately what God wanted them to say. And think about this. It took 1,500 years to compile the Word of God. And you have this consistent message. You have 40 different authors in the 66 books of the Bible. And the Holy Spirit inspired them to write the words that we have today. The Holy Spirit is the one who preserved the manuscripts over the centuries. The Word of God, what we hold in our hand, was completed easily by 100 A.D. And so that means for over 1,900 years now, the scriptures that we get to use have been preserved. This Holy Spirit, and this is why we call the word of the, the, the sword of the Spirit, is because he's the one that guides us in the truth by making the scriptures understandable to us as we're reading the scriptures. And then he enables us to put into practice the scriptures that he gives us. So here's the truth. 
The word of God has been prepared and empowered for us to use. You have this at your disposal. It is your only offensive weapon. It's the only thing that you have been given to combat the doubt and discouragement and the deceit that the enemy wants to bring into your life. Not only did the Spirit give us the Scriptures, but he also makes the Scriptures come alive to us. And then he equips us to use the sword at the right time, in the right place, for the right reason. So let's take a quick step back and look at this word, word. In the New Testament, and, and not, to, not to bore you with these details, but I love this kind of stuff. So when, when the New Testament was written, it was written in a language um, called the, the Greek language. And that was what everybody was using at the time. And so the, 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 the Word of God was written, the New Testament was written in Greek. It was written even in what they call Koine Greek, which was the common man's language. And so as, as these books were compiled, um, these letters that became our New Testament, they were all written in Greek. And so what scholars have found helpful is to go back and learn what the meaning of Greek words were when they originally wrote the New Testament. Because what that does for us today as we read this in English, it sheds new light on what they're talking about. So for instance, the Greek language, the Koine Greek, would use three different words for the word word. And so the first word that was used by the Greeks to explain the word word is the word graphe. And the word graphe literally means the book. So in other words, when a, when, a, when a Greek individual was saying the word graphe, he was meaning that this is the ink and the paper or papyrus or whatever they were writing them on. That is the actual physical book that we're writing. This is not what Paul's talking about here. So when Paul said, which is the word of God, he was not talking about the book, the physical paper, okay? The second word that they would use, the Greeks would use when they were explaining what the word word was, is the word logos or logos. And this word is more the message of the book. This word logos communicates the entire message of the scriptures, in other words, this is what God is trying to say to us. Jesus himself, this is really interesting, Jesus himself is referred to as the word of God. And this is so interesting. So, so in, in John chapter 1, verse 1, John starts his book off with these words. It says, in the beginning was the word, and that's the word logos, and the word logos was God. And the word was with God, and the word was God. And so the idea here is, is they're describing Jesus. That's why it has a capital W, because capital normally refers to deity. So he's talking about God here. He's talking about the person, Jesus Christ. And so what he's saying is that Jesus embodied the message, the logos that God is trying to communicate to man. Jesus embodied that message that God is trying to communicate to us. But this isn't the word that Paul used. When Paul said, take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the word, word that he used was the word rhema, 
which is the third Greek word, and this is more particular. And this is what got me really excited as I was studying this. Because this literally means the utterance. It is a spoken word used specifically and properly in the right way. So it is, it is the spoken word specifically and properly applied. So what are you going through in life? What discouragement have you experienced? What is the devil trying to do in your life? What is the encouragement here is that Paul is saying the word, the rhema, there's a specific utterance that God wants you to use to defend yourself. It's not the whole book of Isaiah. It is a particular specific thought, a few words, a phrase that will encourage you, that will defeat our enemy. Paul's not talking about your general knowledge of Scripture here. Well, Eric, I really haven't read the Bible much. God's not saying that you have to read the whole Bible to have a word to defend yourself. I recommend reading the Bible. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But what Paul is referring to here is individual words and particular statements that we then use and utter and say to defend ourselves as an offensive weapon against our enemy. He's emphasizing the precision use of Scripture in a precise way that comes from having the knowledge and the understanding of these specific truths. So let me, let me just say, and I'll say this again later, you, you can't have the rhema without the logos. So you need an overall understanding of what the message of the Word of God is in order for God to be able to use specific statements in your life and to give them to you for you to use and have them for you at your disposal. Paul doesn't refer to the entire Bible when he says the word of God here. The rhema word of God in your life is called the sword of the spirit because it not only originated by the spirit, but it was recalled to your mind by the spirit and made powerful by the spirit in your life. The rhema word, and this is what's encouraging, is his specific, well-chosen answer for you as an offensive weapon against the enemy. The idea is to bring to mind the right word from God at a given time for a certain situation. Jesus did this all the time. If you read through the Gospels, and Jesus is encountering, let's say, the religious folks, it's, it's funny to me, that through Jesus' three years of ministry, he seemed to, to butt heads with the religious people more than anybody else because they had this, this system, this structure, these rules, these guidelines, that, and, and, and this mold that Jesus didn't fit in. And there were several situations that, that came into play. One time, his disciples were going through a field on the Sabbath day, which was a day of rest for the Jews, and they were plucking off grain from the stalks of the wheat. And they would rub them in their hands and they would eat that as they were going through because they were hungry. And, of course, the, that, that's considered work on the Sabbath day. And so they came to Jesus, the Pharisees did, complaining about the, them working on the Sabbath day. And he was, Jesus was immediately able to use Scripture and refer back to when David, their famous king, ate bread out of the tabernacle 
when he was hungry and which was only supposed to be for the priests. And he used that particular Old Testament reference to shut up the people who were accusing him of not abiding by the Sabbath. There was another time when they came to him and said that, that you know, your disciples aren't washing their hands. There was another time when they came to him, this, this, they, tried to, they tried to riddle Jesus with asking about this gal who supposedly married, ten, uh, married seven different guys and they would all die, right? So she married this guy, then he died, married this guy, he died. And so after seven, I don't know who would marry that woman, by the way. After, after, seven different, after seven different men had died, they come to Jesus and say, well, well who's her husband going to be whenever she gets to heaven? If they have any sense, ain't none of them going to be your husband. But Jesus was able to use scripture and say, well, obviously you don't know the Bible very well because in heaven you're neither married or given in marriage. And he was able to use a specific, do you see what he does? He uses a specific statement and he recalls it understanding the whole message of the, of the word of God, and he uses that specific statement to defend himself against the Pharisees. When he, when he overturned the tables in the temple, he was quoting scripture. When he cast out demons, okay, so, so how about when he was tempted by the devil? In Matthew, Mark chapter four. Matthew chapter four. I want to just read to this. I don't, I don't have it up here for you, but I want you to read with me and follow along as Jesus uses specific statements in Scripture to defend himself against the temptation from the devil. It says this in verse 1. Then was Jesus led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, I love this plain language, he was hungry. All right? I'm in Matthew chapter 4, verse 3. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered, Jesus, and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast yourself down. And then the devil uses scripture. He says, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest at any time you're, uh, you dash your foot against the stones. He said, so, so the angels are, are commanded to take care of you. They'll catch you if you're really the son of God. And Jesus said unto him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And again the devil took him up to an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and said to him, all these things will I give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then said Jesus to him, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, there it is again, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. Does it amaze you as well? That the way that the Son of God defended himself against the temptation from Satan himself was to quote Scripture, was to use the Word of God. He was an example to us of the power of the Word of God. What I'm saying is if you're in the mully grubs this morning or you feel like you're attacked or you feel like, like the devil has got you where he wants you or you feel like you're, you're in an uphill climb, Scripture the words, the utterances, the rhema 
Specific statements said at the right time in the right situation can make all the difference in your life. That's what's encouraging to me. Jesus recalled certain phrases, Rhema, because he had a good understanding of the overall message of Scripture, the logos. So here's, here's, here's another big point here. Effective use of the sword takes practice. And so what does that mean for us, Eric? And we'll, we'll close with, with a few of these things right here. So what does that look like? How do we practice? How do we get better at this? How can we defend ourselves? There's a few things that I think that we need to do with the word. And the first thing is this. I think we need to read the word. We need to read it. So here's, here's what I'm saying. And, I, and, and this is, I, I think this is more like logos, right? So I think we just need to read the scriptures. Here's the thing. I think that you need to know the logos before you can use the rhema. I think you should read it, you should listen to it, you should know it, you should hear the heart of God in it, you should grow your understanding of it and him. May I encourage you to do this? Read it in such a way that you allow it to speak to you rather than you looking for what you think you need out of it. Because we can find verses to back up what we already think. That is so easy to do. We can misinterpret and misapply Scripture. But if we just read it for what it is saying to us and allow God to speak, ask the Holy Spirit who wrote it, who provided it, who preserved it, who instructs you in on it, ask him to show you what you need that you don't even know what you need. But read the word. Get the message of it. Now, here's one of my favorite things to do. I I mean, I love to study. I love to study scripture. But one of my favorite things to do is just to listen to it being read to me. There is something that helps me understand the bigger picture when I hear the word of God. So I don't know what what this means for you, but for me, there there are apps out there for your phone. There are CDs available if you're still doing that. There's probably cassette tapes on eBay if you go back that far. But listening to the word of God while you're driving, when you're getting ready in the morning, having a time when you pull out the Bible and you're just reading it kind of from cover to cover, you're going through the Bible. I love the idea of having a plan where you can get through the Bible in a year and there are apps that do that for you. There are, there are so many tools at our disposal in the, in, the, in, the, in the world that we live in today. And I would encourage you just to read the word and just let it speak to you and begin to understand the heart of God. Before you make any big decisions, before you, before you try and start using this, just let it speak to you and learn who God is. And then I think you need to memorize the word. And again here, I think this is logos. So read the word and then memorize the word. Putting the verses to memory will help you call it up when it is needed. 
And please understand what I'm saying here. So you have, you have this opportunity to read the Bible and just gain what the message of the Bible is. But then I think to take it a step further, you need to memorize the word of God. And in Psalm 119, verse 11, the psalmist said this. He said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. And I think there's a lot more to this verse than just memorizing scripture. Hiding something in your heart has a lot to do with application as well. But in Psalm 119, verse 11, I think that he is telling us that there needs to be some retention of what we are reading. So this takes it a step further. You're not just reading the Bible trying to understand the overall message. Now, as the Holy Spirit is showing you little pieces of information, I think it's beneficial to you in your walk with God and your defense of yourself and the offense that you get to, you get to use, and that is to begin to memorize. So how do you memorize? I know for some of us it's been a long time since we were in school, and the thought of memorizing stuff just is, is crazy. But when it's something that you feel like you're going to use, when it's something that you feel like you can, you can really use in your daily Christian life, it makes a big difference. And obviously for me, I think just repetition is a big deal. And as God shows you something or you hear of a verse, or maybe, maybe you might even have to Google like verses about the struggle you're going through. That's effective. Like there, there are people who have put together websites and they, they'll have 25 verses about discouragement or 30 verses about anger. And it's almost like, you know, it's, it's able to, you're able to then memorize a particular phrase or a particular piece of scripture and then apply that to your life. But that's why, in my opinion, that's why it's important to also be reading the whole word of God because sometimes people will pick out a particular phrase or a particular verse and I do not think that means what you think it means. Right, And so you have to be careful about just picking one verse out and saying that's the answer because it may not be all that accurate. But I would, I would memorize. So, so repetition, I think songs are a great way to learn scripture. If you can sing. But I remember like, like when, when, I was, um, when I was growing up, my mom and dad bought this collection of LPs. Those were like these plastic things with grooves in them and they would spin around and then noise would come out of them. It was awesome. And it was, it was this family that had put all kinds of scripture to memory and they put it to song. And let me tell you, they're all still up here. Like all of them. Like I'll hear like a little phrase or a little statement and that song just comes right back. There are, there, are, there are ways that you can learn and memorize by the use of song. I think you ought to write it down. Writing something down is a very effective way to memorize it, and I think sharing a truth with others is a great way to remember it. But memorize the Word of God. And then thirdly, I think you should live the Word. And I think this is where we get down to maybe the rhema. Like, what is God uttering to you? What is it that God is trying to affect in your life? What change is he trying to make? The Puritan writer Thomas Brooks said this. He said, the word of the Lord is a light to guide you, a counselor to counsel you, a comforter to comfort you. Listen to all these uses that the word of God is to us. A staff to support you, a sword to defend you, a physician to cure you. It is a mind to enrich you, a robe to clothe you, and a crown to crown you. 
2 Timothy verses, uh, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Paul, the same apostle Paul that wrote to the church at Ephesus, is writing to a son in the faith, Timothy. In other words, this was somebody that he was mentoring in the faith. Timothy was pastoring a church at the time, and he is, he is telling him the importance of Scripture. And he says this in verse 16 in chapter 3. He said, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And then here's what Scripture can do for us. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And then here's why. That the man of God may be perfect. And that's a great word, but I think we're misunderstanding it because of what perfect means today. But what it actually meant when the Greeks wrote that was, was that we're supposed to be complete or fitted perfectly. So scripture is designed to mold us and make us into who we are supposed to be. That thoroughly furnish, it said this, unto all good works. Those are powerful verses. That's the Bible that, you're, that you have in your hand. That is scripture. That's what it does for you. But notice here what is omitted. What is omitted here is that Scripture was not given to us for our own intellectual stimulation. It wasn't given to us just so you know more stuff. The idea behind Scripture is to change who you are, to change the kind of person that you are. It is supposed to furnish us unto all good works, And the way that is accomplished is by reproof and correction and instruction in righteousness. If we don't put it to use, then it's of no use. So we should read the word, memorize the word, live the word, and finally, we should speak the word. And I mean this for exactly what it says. We should speak out loud the word of God. It is an offensive weapon. And just as much as Jesus told Satan, it is written. I think that's the pattern for us to follow. I think you should say it. You should use it. You should practice using the actual words, the rhema, the utterances. If you are going to fight, if you're going to be in this fight, and you are, and if it is true that the only offensive weapon we have is the word of God, and it is, then you should always have it in your hand, ready to use it. Going back to Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus was tempted, verse 4, he said this, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It is just as necessary, what Jesus is saying, it's just as necessary for you to have spiritual sustenance as it is for you to have physical sustenance we we are so accustomed to just focusing on our physical and what jesus is saying here is that we've got to have a spiritual input into our lives we have to be understanding the message of the word of god so we know how to use it effectively now i don't know what you're going through and I don't know what God is trying to do in your life. And I don't know what, what battles you're under, what attacks you feel. But please understand that Jesus Christ himself used the word of God, the rhema of God, as an offensive weapon against the attack of Satan on his life. And so should we. D.L. Moody said this. He said, the scriptures 
We're not given to increase our knowledge, but to change our lives. And I think as you are reading the scripture and as it is affecting you and changing the lives, then you memorize it and you can recall it and use it. And here's a little secret weapon. Ask the Holy Spirit for help. He's the author of it. He knows you intimately and knows what you need. And as you are reading Logos, when you are reading the scripture, ask him to show you what you need for your own self personally. And use the words as an offensive weapon against the attacks that we receive. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And thank you for all that you have given to us. And thank you for this incredibly precious weapon that not only encourages us and comforts us and protects us, but it also is something that can be used on our behalf as an offensive weapon. And I pray, Father, you would help us to read it and memorize it and live it and speak it in Jesus' name. Amen.